This is Michael Osterlink, and I'm here with Bruce Fine, constitutional scholar and ideas man. This is the beginning of multiple conversations that Bruce and I will be having on policy, politics, and philosophy. You can follow it on Twitter with the hashtag FineWisdom. That's F-E-I-N Wisdom. Now, Bruce, you and I are going to talk about issues of the day uh, starting during our next conversation. But I thought it would be really important for the listening audience to get a feel from you of the ideas that move you to do the work that you do, where those ideas come from. Mm -hmm. And if people want to get not as educated as you, because you'll explain how many books you've read now, often you've read the same books uh, with your deep knowledge, but you know, you know what resources they can use to get some general ideas on where really where our country, the United States, came from, the vision of our founders, and uh, life we should be leaving, living, both culturally, socially, and politically. Well, I think the beginning uh, starts out, I would call, a, a study of the theory of man. We have to remember that the DNA of all the species is the same, whether you're born in the U.S. or Australia or New Zealand, North South Pole. And what fascinates me and the, the intellectual driving power I have comes from searching and developing a theory of man. What does that mean? It means what are the motivations that cause most people to behave and think the way they do? Are there exceptions? Um, and the theory of man, it's, it's something that you derive by uh, reading philosophy. It really goes back to Aristotle. It goes back to Plutarch's lives and Plato's republics. It goes to reading the Old and the New Testament. Why are these people doing these things? Why are they fighting over territory? Always, why was the Greek and Trojan War fought over a woman, Helen of Troy? Why did they care whether Helen of Troy happened to be in one place or another? What is? What are these primal motivations that seem to explain so much of human behavior, even though it's folly? And I say that not only, and that comes from reading not only about ancient uh, history and uh, narrative of the species, but it c continues up to the modern times, whether it's the Federalist Papers or Machiavelli, or whether Sir Thomas Aquinas or Voltaire or Rousseau, all these ideas of why men and women do what they do and is it virtuous or not. It's so often not asked. Okay, we know why they're do we know they are doing it. Uh, but is that the right thing to do? That is so important, Michael, when it comes to examining the, you know, the world scene today where we have warfare and oppression everywhere. Um, Henry Kissinger's last book, you know, World Order, he just assumes that nations fight each other. He never even asks, well, why are they fighting? Is that the right thing? And should we try to architect a diffusion of power so it doesn't happen anymore? Because in James Madison's words, we, we have ambition, counteract ambition. So if you want to know my, my overall sort of 50,000 foot intellectual framework is coming up with a theory of man. And what I have deduced uh, after having read you know, 10, 20,000 books and contemplated uh, these things most of my 67 years and written I think now four or five million words is that typically without proper leadership, I call inspiration, what Lincoln called uh, extrapolating the better angels of our nature, most men and women are, are driven by these instinctual gratifications, which I would identify as money, celebrity or fame, you know, sex, uh, creature comforts. That's just, you know, in survival for the sake of survival and pleasantry is enough. It's only what I call learned thrills. Learned thrills are those that come across where you 
have pride in yourself because of your values, what you've done. Wisdom, virtue, I call it, in a larger sense, the search for truth without ulterior motives. You're searching for truth not because it makes you money, not because it makes you more powerful, just because you have a quest, a craving to understand why we're here, what gives meaning to life. Uh, and that's, however, unfortunately, is, is quite rare. Learn thrills. It's especially difficult to inculcate because learn thrills, learn gratifications, only emerge over time. You know, you live a, a you know, you're not a virtuous person after five minutes, you know, because anybody can be virtuous. It's over a series of years or decades of devotion that you show that you're really committed because you've given your life and your energies to this particular pursuit. So it's not the easiest thing to communicate and uh, to tell young people, hey, it's really great to search for truth without ulterior motives. They're saying, ah, I can have sex with my girlfriend and I can go to the basketball game or to the rock concert. Heck with that. You know, that takes way too long. Uh, but and then to go back to my say my overall intellectual frame, we say, well, why, Bruce, do you care about this? I care about it because I believe that if you tried to calculate, you know, a world misery index, all the terrible things that happen to human beings around the world at any particular year, that well over ninety percent is they're not cancer, it's not hurricanes or tsunamis. It's human beings oppressing and killing other human beings. I mean, we could just talk right now and look at all of the chaos in the world, whether it's in Yemen or Iraq or Syria or Afghanistan or Ukraine. I mean, it's everywhere. Uh, and sometimes if it isn't overt violence, you have kind of sub silentio oppression. You live in Russia or China, you say something the people in power don't like, you know, you're off to a labor camp or you just disappear which is an equally you know, oppressive life. As Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. And so my fascination of, of in examining the United States, especially because that's where I live and I love the country and I believe that we've been able to cope better than any other country, but despite our warts, uh, is to try to come up with what I call the an architecture of dispersing power to prevent any one faction from oppressing another. And it's a tough task. It is not easy. You know, our Constitution, uh, developed by 55 at Philadelphia, and really only a handful of those bought real intellectual firepower uh, to the event, uh, has proven to be the most enduring and the most enlightened uh, distribution of power, despite the fact that it had flaws. You know, we still had slavery at that time. Uh, women couldn't vote. Uh, but we built in, you know, institutions and philosophy of freedom of speech, freedom of association, political association, so we were able to remedy, uh, despite the, the hardships and the misery in the interim, these flaws where we're now much better uh, in honoring our goal of equal justice under law than we were in 1776. Anyway, that, that Michael, is, is the background. That's why I care. And, it's very, and one of the reasons also why it's important to study this is it shows, given the uniqueness almost of our intellect and background in 1776 and being able basically to run a peaceful, almost a peaceful transition from rule by King George III into a democratic republican dispensation. There's the, this, the Revolutionary War was not huge massacres, you know. Uh, there obviously were deaths, but compared to other revolutions like the French Revolution, we segue because we're building on six centuries of Anglo-American jurisprudence, common law expectations of what was decent and what was just. And knowing our background and how difficult and how long it took us 
to get to this level of political maturity. The idea that we're going to go into Iraq, Afghanistan, and Yemen, and Syria, Egypt, Libya, build these democracies, the only word that really describes this, it is insane. It is the same reasoning that would suggest we should develop a perpetual motion machine and spend trillions of dollars. You say, that's really stupid. That is how ridiculous this is. And it comes from knowing you know, how power is characteristically abused and how difficult it is, given varied histories, backgrounds, religions, to balance and shape and to put competing sources of power against each other so there is no oppression. It's what James Madison said, the ultimate goal of government is justice. You had mentioned virtue, an ancient Greek idea. Yeah. You mentioned the Torah and the New Testament. Yeah. You mentioned the Federalist Papers. Can you give us a, a longer list of books that you would recommend our listening audience read in order to better understand what you are talking about, the vision you hold for us, not only as Americans, mm -hmm. but as human beings? Sure. I mean, I, don't, I can give you ten. You know, you should read uh, John Stuart Mill's uh, On Liberty. You should read... Um, uh, Sir Thomas Aquinas's uh, Summa Theologica. You should read Machiavelli's The Prince and Discourses. Uh, you should read you know, Voltaire's Candide. Uh, you should read Rousseau's Social Contract. Uh, I think that you should, you should be fully conversant with Alexis Tocqueville's Democracy in America. Uh, those are, those are, those are voluminous things to digest and, and absorb. Uh, which I think would be absolutely critical to try and get an estimate, again, of what men and women are about. Why are we here? What are the reasons why peace can be established in light of the general inclination of the species well, to dominate for the sake of domination? I've got to tell you, I'm excited to continue these kind of conversations because I don't hear much on radio or television or any other place where debates take hold. I use debates lightly. Uh, it's mostly like partisan grandstanding. Yeah. I, I don't hear anyone talking about virtue yeah. or any of these higher qualities of human beings. So I look forward to using that as a lens to look at the issues of the day. Yeah, I, and I think that's important, Michael. This is not this is not partisan. You know, virtue is not Republican or Democratic. You know, the diffusion of separation of powers is not Republican or Democratic. This is what should all unify us as Americans. There's nothing wrong with you know political associations, political parties, but after all, they're marginal compared to the unity that we need to have as Americans on this common quest. I say, the search for truth without ulterior motives, practicing you know, virtue as the best we can, uh, and trying to avoid any injustice. And I just leave with this one observation that really, I think, uh, distinguishes what I would hope we would stick to as a country and other, I consider, inferior countries. And that is, uh, philosophically, uh, the Founding Fathers believed, and I hope that we still would, that it is morally superior to take and assume a risk of being the victim of injustice than to risk being complicit in injustice. Because that's really the difference between, I say, human society and savagery. Because if you want to take, if you don't care about becoming complicit in injustice and all you care about is just diminishing risk to yourself, then you're at Dick Cheney's 1% plan. You just go assault, kill, destroy anything that you don't know about. Even though you don't believe that necessarily they would attack you soon, hey, no risks. And you don't care about being complicit in just That's just wrong. And unfortunately, I think that we've gone into that kind of attitude with the fact that we put predator drones and collateral damage, 68-year-old grandmothers, and we sort of shrug our shoulders. Hey, we should be appalled 
that one of our drones killed the 68-year-old grandmother picking vegetables with a child. Even if it could be excused, that's just something we want to avoid at all costs. We really should be confronting an existential existence before we become complicit in a death of that sort. That's one of the things I think is so critical to getting the United States back to it's a shining obelisk uh, because of what we can do every bit as much in refraining from asserting our power as extending the power. Well, thank you, Bruce. I definitely look forward to continuing this conversation. It's going to be very exciting, at least for me, and I know our listening audience to learn a lot from you. Um, I would encourage folks to check out your books. Can you tell us a little about the yes, books you've uh, written? Yes, the, uh, the most prominent ones that address in uh, greater detail uh, what I've spoken on this particular interview, American Empire Before the Fall, uh, and then Constitutional Peril, the life and death struggle for a constitution and democracy. You can buy them on Amazon, uh, or you can buy them off my website, and I'll send you a signed copy. My website is www.brucefinelaw.com. That's B-R-U-C-E-F-E-I-N-L-A-W.com. And you also blog on a regular basis? Yes. I have a regular blog at the Washington Times, uh, and I try to Twitter regularly my philosophy <laughs> in 140-character uh, less sound bites. Awesome. So uh, you can check out hashtag fine wisdom, F-E-I-N wisdom, to track this conversation, which is going to be ongoing. Uh, to learn more about this conversation and other conversations, you can go to my blog at michaeldostrolink.com or check out my podcast at australankradio.com. That's O-S-T-R-O-L-E-N-K.com. Thanks.